Blessing us again. We are um, doing a uh, short talk series or sermon series um, through January and what we are doing is looking how the gospel works in uh, various stages of our life and how it really is applicable in every actual area of our life. And uh, last week we did um, uh, gospel in work. We looked at how the truth of God's word actually uh, intersects with our lives even in the workplace and how it uh, transforms and changes us there. And uh, today we're going to uh, look at it in the aspect of um, gospel and family, how the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, uh, the word of God from the Bible actually intersects in our lives as family and changes us and transforms us uh, as family as well. Um, just to sort of set this up perhaps a little bit for us, you, know, you might say this is a real change of tack here and hear me right. Who's ever watched The Simpsons? Some people probably don't want to put their hands up, some do. Uh, you used to have to watch it. Oh, okay. All right. I've never watched the show all the way through. I've only just seen little snippets here and there, so I'm not a, a viewer, whatever you might call it. But what is it? It's a, it's a satirised look at a modern-day family, somewhat taken from a very comical point of view. Yes, very funny in some of its scenes, but also The Simpsons is very sad if you look at it from other perspectives as well. Uh, what you get there in The Simpsons, supposedly in this family, is Bart. He's the young son, in case you didn't know. He's supposed to be the brain of the family, sort of organising all these things that are happening behind the scenes. And the picture of Homer is the father. He's sort of like this dumb klutz. He just gets it all wrong all the time. He's just like no real true fatherly figure at all. Uh, that's really the sad aspect for it in that sense. Really doesn't give a great picture of family in that sense. But family is extremely important. Extremely important, and the gospel has much to say about family. So, if you've got your Bibles, um, please turn with me again back to Ephesians. And you're saying, Haven't we been there for quite a while now? Yeah, well, it's a good book. It's a good book. Ephesians uh, 5 and 22, I'm going to read through to um, chapter 6, verse 4. Starting at verse 22, and uh, listen carefully as we read God's word. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is its, himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendour, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound... And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The parents probably want me to say that again, don't they? <laughs> Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you live long in the land. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Uh, Lord, we just thank you and praise you that we can now open up this passage of scripture. And we pray, Lord, even though this is written 2,000 years ago, this word is so true, so real, so alive. It's timeless and it speaks into our hearts today. So we pray, uh, God, by the Holy Spirit, you would open that word up to reveal uh, that truth into our hearts. Now we pray and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, There's many things that go together to make up a strong, uh, healthy, loving and caring community of people. Uh, Some people may think you've got to have a really good health system to provide for a healthy community of people. Uh, Others will say you'll need good law and order for a good, uh, healthy community. Others will say you'll need a really good, strong, solid education system for a healthy community as well. And I guess what I'm saying, a healthy community or a strong community, I mean one that is respectful, harmonious and peaceful in every way. Uh, All of those things are really, really helpful and really, really important in developing a healthy community. We need good hospitals, we need good policing and a good justice system, and we need good education as well to contribute to a healthy community. They're all really, really important. But the most fundamental, basic and foundational element of all communities of people is the family. The family. Healthy families, strong families, provide true and strong foundations for a growing, thriving community of people to flourish in. It's found in families, families that are strong and healthy. All communities are built around families. They really are. I read a book at my brother-in-law's about November last year, and it was a book about the township of Gagari, how it started and sort of tracing back the history. Um, it was really interesting. The community of Gagari was formed in the early to middle 1800s, so quite a while back. If you know Gagari, it's really just a little speck on the map, sort of out near between Rochester and Kyabram, near Stanhope. Uh, but this uh, family was formed in the early, uh, sorry, this community was formed in the early to middle 1800s when families actually came in there and bought property in the district. One or two families came in, and then some more families came in, and then those families came together to form the community of Gagari. Starts off with a handful of families, then a few more, and then all of a sudden this community forms here and is formed out of families. And the community of Gagari sort of rose and fell according to how the families were doing at that time. The community life was actually according to how well the families were doing at that particular time. So families are this foundational and critical unit of what community is all about. It's about family. So today we want to see how the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ comes in and impacts and transforms families to honour and glorify God our Creator and also how the gospel enables us to grow and flourish together as people in a family as part of a greater community. First, how do we get families? How did families come about? You might think this is foundational and sort of, you know, why are we going back here? I think it's really important. Did somehow a man and woman just meet each other somewhere back in the dim, dark past and they sort of by chance thought, gee, you look all right and you look all right, let's, you know, let's have a family. Is that sort of how it happened? Is that, does our mind think that way? Is this, this how we got family, just by chance, somewhere down in the past? No, that's not how it happened. The Bible tells us that family is part of God's good design that he's created us for. 
as the giver of all life, in the Bible we see that at the beginning of time God created everything and he created family. You may have heard of Adam and Eve right at the start of the Bible. They are the first man and woman. And it says here in Genesis chapter 2, as we're talking about this creation of man, it says this in Genesis chapter 2 verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And note this part here. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Those last couple of verses there is the formation of the first family that God has created. That is family, how God has created it. It's the foundation of all harmonious communities in all of the goodness that God has given to us to reflect him through families. Here it is. It's true marriage and family is one man and one woman coming together to form a lifelong relationship with God, under God as their loving creator and ruler. Now, unfortunately, this, in today's age, it can upset people when you say something like that, that that is what true family is. It's one man and one woman. As Christians, we love and we respect all people. We love and respect all people, but we'll always uphold to the truth of what God has created us to be and told us how family is. And that is one man and one woman. It is father and mother coming together in marriage who then come together and have children as a gift given by God. And we celebrate that gift today with the dedication here of Nathaniel. This is family that God has created. Why has God created family? What's the purposes in here? It is to reflect, obviously, the nature of who God is. But here's other things that we see and can all testify to in families. God created family... To be a place of stability. God created family to be a place of stability when everything else in my life is potentially crumbling around about me and all feels unsure, like it can in life at times. I have a family that is stable. God has designed families to have stability in relationships with each other, a place where I can depend on others when everything seems shaky in my life. I have something stable in my family I can come back to. God created family also to be a place of security. Security. When my life is becoming a fearful place and I'm uncertain of the future, I'm just not sure what's going to happen next. I've just left home and everything feels like it's beginning to unravel in my life. I'm feeling really unsure about everything. I have a family that is secure. I have a place that is safe. I have a relationship with my family that I can go to and I can find shelter from the storms of life in within my family. Family is a place of security. God has also designed family to be a place of identity and love. Identity and love as well. You know, sometimes we're in life and we just don't know where we belong. We feel like we're just totally out of sorts. We feel like we're just wandering around this mysterious world. We feel lost in a world of busyness with people going here, there and everywhere all around about us. And nobody seems to care about us. I have a family that I can identify with. 
It's a family that knows me and recognises me. It's a family that loves me like no one else would love me in this world. It's a family that accepts me just as I am. Family is a place of identity and a place of love that God has designed in the confines of a family. You see, families are designed with these relationships within that reflect the relationships we see within the Trinity of God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. This perfect relationship between the Trinity, also the family gets to reflect that out by its inter-family relationships through identity and security and stability and love. And these are just a few of the things that we can experience in family. And we can all testify that, uh, experiencing those things as we go through life. And we could add a whole heap of other things that we have in family as well. But they're just some of those things. So family is God's good design. It's a very good thing for us. Family is a great place to be. And it's created to be the strong foundations of a strong, healthy community at the same time. Now families are a good thing. But the trouble is where we live today... We only see glimpses of that, don't we? We only see glimpses of those really, really good things. We see families where there is stability, security, love and identity, but we, only, we often see that in a broken type fashion. It's not perfect. We often see fractured families. Families that are a mixture of all those good things, but also the very painful of life, even within a family. We may go to our family looking for that security and that identity, but we find something entirely different. We may find a family that will just maybe perhaps sometimes leave us out on a limb and may not accept us, may have rejected us. Why is that? Why have families got to that point? What's gone wrong? Why have families broken down where God's design was this perfection or this place of stability and security and love and identity? But today we see it very fractured and broken. To answer that again, we must go back to the Bible because it tells us there that Adam and Eve, the very first family we saw there before, they rejected God's rule. They rejected God's rule and their lives, over their lives and they went their own way. Adam and Eve were told right back in the beginning, you can do anything you like in the Garden of Eden where God had placed them, anything you like except for one thing. One thing you can't do, God has said. And that one thing is they were told you could not eat from the fruit of one tree in the garden. Adam and Eve disobeyed God at that point and they did eat from the tree they were told they could not eat from and they sinned before God and therefore God judged them with punishment. Now what Adam and Eve didn't realise is when they disobeyed God and they went and ate from that tree, it had forever corrupted their minds and desires right on down through every generation. Instead of now honouring God and looking out for each other, Adam and Eve now for them was all about them and not about God. It was all about them and not really about their family. And as I said, this brokenness of mind, this brokenness of corrupted desires and corrupted thoughts has gone down through every generation since then. And this is where we find ourselves today. We find ourselves with broken families around about us. Community now is made up of broken families at various degrees. Some are extremely broken, some maybe not so much. We have breakdown in marriages running rife throughout our community today. We have marriages sometimes not even lasting 12 months and I personally know of a couple of those via a friend in Melbourne 
married and within 12 months, it all blew up. Husband and wife, as it were, bringing their own brokenness and their own agenda into a marriage and then the sparks begin to fly because the two agendas aren't matching up. She's got her agenda, he's got his agenda and they're they're different agendas. They're not quite going to come together. The sparks begin to fly. This brokenness then flows onto the children through this breakdown as well. Children often in this situation become like pawns in a game of chess. Mum and dad sit either end of the chessboard. They're already sort of at war with each other and these kids are like the pawns in this game of chess. Sort of They're in the crossfire of this breakdown of marriage. Even in amicable breakdowns, where perhaps there's not division as in they've separated, still the kids are the biggest losers. They really are. The stability, the security, the identity and the love is forever scarred within them. They are caught up in all of this. What was safe and stable for them is now uncertain and unsure. And it doesn't even have to be divided families. Sometimes we can just see dysfunction and brokenness at low low levels where there's just tension and there's unrest in a family. They may have experienced just a few arguments or just some cold feelings. But it all goes to show there's this fractured brokenness in families that we have today. See, family breakdown is caused by sin. And it can go to extreme levels of violence as well. In the very first family, it did go to extreme levels of violence. Look with me in Genesis chapter 4 here as we see this first family experience uh, this brokenness and this fraction. It says there in verse 1, Now Adam knew knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. Look what it says there next. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they're in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. In the very first family where brokenness and fracturedness has come into this family, we see someone murdered. Jealousy and bitterness has risen up in Cain's heart and he's gone and killed his only brother. There's only four people on the earth at this time and one's just been murdered. Just shows you the dysfunction and brokenness of sin, how quickly it corrupts. And we still see it today. I was looking at some stats earlier in the week and it was about domestic violence Uh, Every week in Australia, there is one woman who's being murdered by her partner or ex-partner. Every single week. And we've probably all seen some of those scenes on Current Affair where you you see some of that CCTV footage and and hear some of those uh, noises. It's horrific. It's horrific that this fracturedness, this brokenness, this selfish anger and rage and bitterness boils over here in breakdowns and somebody is killed. 
Somebody's murdered. What's happened? How did families get to this point of breakdown? How do they get to this level? Well, they've taken God right out of the picture of their lives and said, we'll just do it our own way, thanks. We don't need you, God. Even though you've created us, you know what's best for us. We'll live life our own way. And what are the results of that? Murder in the extreme. Dysfunction, arguing even at lower levels, but still brokenness in every way. We've walked away from our responsibilities as husbands, as fathers, as wives, as mothers, as children, as brothers and sisters in a true sense, in the sense of how God wants us to live. We've walked away from that because of this brokenness and corruption in our hearts. We've basically said life is all about me and it's about my agenda and that then colours every single thing we do. It colours every single thing we do. We take our agenda into every situation. It ends up being all about me. So the question that's sitting here is this. What does God do as our creator about this? Does God become like a driverless car and just take his hands off the steering wheel and just let us crash and burn? Does God just give up on us? and Well, that's it. I'm over it. What does God do? Here's the glorious thing that God does do and has done and continues to do. God is a merciful God and he's filled with loving kindness to redeem us. He's filled with grace to save us from this brokenness and to transform us at the same time. God has planned, before he's even created the first human being in Adam and Eve, way back at the start of time, that he would send his only son, Jesus Christ, into this world to save us from this brokenness to save us from this corruption, to save us from this fracturedness in our lives because we've rejected God. Jesus becomes, God's son, Jesus becomes a human like one of us, just like us. Jesus then takes upon himself all of our brokenness, all of our sin, all of our corruption at the cross. He bears God's judgment in our place so that we can be forgiven, set free from all that brokenness and its penalty. And this gift of God's grace in doing this for, all, uh, for us is freely given to us as we trust in what Jesus has done for us and then turn from our lives of sin and brokenness and give ourselves to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. And it says in John 3.16 this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's what God has done for us. He hasn't taken his hands off the steering wheel. He stayed right there and he had a plan in place. And his plan was Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the good news of what God has done for us. That Jesus not only saves us, but he transforms us. He changes us. He renews us and he recreates us back into the image of himself. Which means that Jesus calls us into a new life. A new way of living, a way that now is redeemed from brokenness. God calls us to follow Jesus and then he gives us the power now to live like him through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit within us. And this includes our roles in the family, which all spring out of the good news of the gospel. As we're saved by Jesus and transformed by him, our roles are now, uh, as it were, springboarding out of that foundation of what he's done for us. So you may well ask, well, how does that look? 
How does this new look uh, of uh, roles look, particularly in a family? What does this? How do we contribute now to peaceful and harmonious relationships as a family? Glad you asked that question. Look at me in Ephesians, where we read earlier on. And what we'll do is we'll follow this through in the order that we've read it. Now I'm going to say one proviso here. One proviso. There's probably three messages in this passage here. Uh, we're going to take a broad brush picture here of this. Um, I'm very happy to have questions and uh, discussion after the service. But let's just take a broad brush picture here of a gospel-shaped family, the way Jesus recreates us. Ephesians 5.22, he first talks to wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, some of you could be sitting there and say, well, that's, how can you say that in today's current age? How could you possibly say that? Isn't that sort of old school? Well, that's our creator speaking there. That's how we should live. All I'd say is just hang on and stick with me for a little bit longer. In God's order, the gospel empowers a wife to submit to their husband as God's ordained head of the family. The gospel now enables a wife to recognise their husband as God's design to lead a family. This is God's order. This submission, though, is based on mutual submission. Husband and wife, both submitting to God as their Lord, as their God, as their Saviour, and then based on being equal partners in the marriage. Equal partners. Equal partners. Husband and wife are equal, but in God's order... The wife, at the end of the day, is called to submit to the husband's lead. Have a discussion, and you might get to a point of difference. Sometimes the husband may, yep, let's go your way, darling. Or no, it's going to go my way. But at the end of the day, God calls us, in a loving relationship that is shaped by the gospel, for the wife to submit to the husband's lead there. Let's follow that on. Husbands, it says here, Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Here's the gospel, here's the good news for husbands. Love your wife. Can't get any clearer there in the first verse, can it? Husbands, love your wives. Surround your wife in love. Let the gospel transform you to brand new levels of love that you may not have known before, for your wife. Look at verse 25. You can bring that for us, Dan. You see, the gospel enables husbands to love our wives just the same way that Jesus loves the church. And what did Jesus do for the church? What's it say there in verse 25? Gave himself up for her. Jesus died for the church. Jesus, as the head, took on the hit, as it were, took on the hard stuff. So what does that mean today then for us in family, with a husband lovingly leading his wife? That means 
He's willing to love her sacrificially. The husband's willing to love his wife sacrificially. The husband's willing to make sacrifices in love to lead his family well. How might that look? It always gets tricky when you start to think of practical and application. How might that look? Well, just say you've got a boat. Nothing wrong with a boat. Boats are fine, okay? There's nothing wrong with the boat. But just say you've got a boat. But the boat is beginning to consume massive amounts of your time. Perhaps not only time, but the boat could be now consuming lots of your finances as well to keep the boat above water. You love the boat. And you get lots of enjoyment from the boat. The boat's a good thing. But it's consuming lots of time and it's consuming lots of money. To the point now where the wife and the family are feeling second fiddle to the boat. They're feeling like the boat's taking first place in the life and not wife and the family. And your wife tries to talk to you about this. But you're not keen to listen because you love the boat. What does the gospel do? How does the gospel transform in this situation? The gospel gives you the power to come in and sacrificially sell the boat. Sell the boat as a loving act towards your wife and your family. It begins to help you realign your priorities and get what is right in the right order. Now, I'm not just picking on a boat there. You can put anything you like in that situation. You could put a car, you could put a motorbike, you could put a hobby, you could put a sport, you could put anything you like there. It's whatever could be in your life that's actually taking perhaps first place over your wife and your family. Loving your wife and your family sacrificially the way the gospel empowers us enables you to make that really hard call. Okay, I'll sell the boat. But loving sacrificially can be in small ways as well. It doesn't have to be like a big ticket item like that. You may have had a whole day planned out for yourself and all of a sudden your wife has come to you and said, look, um, sweetheart, I've had a huge week. I just need to get away with a couple of friends tomorrow. Um, can I just you know, take off down the street and ship, have coffee with a couple of friends and just have a bit of a relax for a few hours? And you've already sort of planned what you were going to do for the day. The husband lovingly says, sure. I had other things planned, but that's all right. Leave the kids with me. You go and have some coffee time with your friends and relax and refresh. And that's all right. It can be small ways as well. Sacrificially loving our wives, the way Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, he dies for us. Children, here's how the gospel transforms you. It says there in chapter 6, verse 1 to 4, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I wish that first part of the last verse wasn't there. I sort of have this tendency to sort of, you know, when you tease, you sort of take it a bit too far and you do provoke a bit to anger. So it's there, so I've got to work on that myself as well. How's that? Back on. In God's order, children... Uh, God has given you parents to care for you and raise you. God has given you parents to teach you and train you in the ways of God and of life. This is the good news for children. They may not see it as good news. Often they don't want to do what the parents tell them to do. 
But this is God's order. This is the gospel. This is the good news. He's given us parents who care for us, that teach us, train us and raise us to be followers of Jesus, to be obedient. And it says that when we do that, things will go well for us. That's God's promise. Now, I fully understand with kids, it's a changing dynamic. It's a changing scene. You know, at this early stage with Nathaniel, he's not doing too much. He wants a bit of food every now and again. He wants a bit of a roll around and a play. But he's going to get bigger and older and he's going to need more things and he's going to require more teaching and training when he's more able to comprehend things. And then they'll get to a later stage of life in their late teens and you're sort of preparing them for um, adulthood and leaving home like we sent one of our daughters off a few weeks ago. You know, that's the end game at the, at the end of the day. They will leave home as much as we didn't want them to leave home at the time. <laughs> they will. But that's our job is to prepare them. So kids are a changing scene. So the whole dynamic changes the way we deal with them. But at the end of the day, in these early stages, they respect and obey their parents and they still do that all the way through life. But it's just a different connection, a different relationship as they get older. But that's the good news of the gospel, how it transforms families with children. Let me wrap this up here then as we finish this. The gospel renews us, the good news of Jesus Christ renews us from the inside out. In other words, the gospel deals with our heart and changes the core of who we are that was broken right back at the start when Adam and Eve rejected God. It renews us with new desires and new power. We now seek to honour God through our families with these transformed lives. That's what it does. Now this doesn't mean we'll have a challenge-free life or a problem-free life in our families. They will still come. The challenges will come. The problems will come. Because that's not where we live. We don't live in this sort of perfect world. We live in a world that still has many, many challenges and this brokenness still affecting us in every way. And we will be still challenged to fall back to our old ways of selfishness and rebelling against what is right. But the gospel gives us the power to push through and to do the right thing. Here's what it does mean though, as we submit to the gospel and allow that to be centre in our lives. When we allow the gospel to transform our lives, we put ourselves in the best possible place to see the Holy Spirit working deeply within us for God's blessing of peace and harmony in our families. When we allow Christ, Jesus and the gospel to be central in our lives, we place ourselves in the best possible position to see God's blessing of peace and harmony be upon us. If we choose not to allow the gospel of Christ to rule our lives, then we will reap tension and division and family breakdown in various degrees, depending how much we rebel against God. That's the, that's the alternative. You see, we've got to see in this aspect, in families, that husband, my husband is in the centre of my world. My wife isn't the centre of my world. My kids aren't the centre of my world. We've got to see that I'm not the centre of my world. We've got to see that that Jesus must be the centre of our world to see this gospel transform us. So I guess I'll close with these couple of questions here. When it comes to family, we've got to be really honest with what our heart is saying. Who or what is at the centre of your world? What's ruling or directing your family as the central place in your world? Whose agenda are you following in life? Is it God's agenda or is it your own agenda? 
really important questions to ask ourselves and examine ourselves with. God promises that as we live our lives for him, that we will know his joy and peace and blessing in every aspect if we will but submit to his ways and put our trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come before you this morning to thank you and to praise you again for your goodness in our lives. God, we thank you for the transforming power of the gospel. God, it is supernatural in the way that it works within us, changing us from within, changing our hearts and renewing us. Uh, Lord, today, thank you that Jesus would come into this world and take our brokenness, our corruption upon himself and then transform us into his image. Thank you for the power that you give to us to do that. And I pray, Lord, today that you would let those words uh, rest in our hearts to think about what Jesus has done and then allow that gospel to work out into our families to be families, Lord, that reflect uh, the honour and the glory and the praise of Jesus Christ into the world where we live, to be families of uh, righteousness, families of joy and families of peace. Lord, today we thank you for all these things and do ask them and pray them in your name, Lord. Amen. Just have one song to uh, finish up, so if you guys could come and do that. I'm very happy after the service to take any questions, or if somebody would like some prayer, um, I would be more than happy to uh, pray with you as well. Thank you. Please stand with us again as we sing Rescuer.